How's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a glorious day. So today is the second video in the series on the development of doctrine. We're going to be getting into a little bit of the what natural forms of evolution we can look at, and then from that deduce something about evolution in dogmas. Uh, it comes this this sort of methodology that we're going to be engaging in uh, this video is going to be in line with uh, with the sort of principle of analogy that Vatican I brings up. So Vatican I says, quote, Now reason does indeed, when it seeks persistently, piously, and soberly, achieve by God's gift some understanding, and that most profitable of the mysteries, whether by analogy from what it knows naturally, and then it goes on uh, from the connecting together of mysteries and, and connection with our last end and so on. But when we look at material things, the, the things of nature, we are able to understand something about the things of grace. So when we look at how evolution works in natural things, and I want you to scrub from your minds any sort of Darwinistic uh, implications of that term evolution just uh just think growth or progress or transformation or development i uh, think think in those uh terms evolution in its in its broadest possible sense when we look at how it works in nature we're going to be able to gain some sort of understanding about how it works in the uh we can think of the mind of the church in in grasping what it is that is revealed to her so uh, first, uh, thinking about evolution in general, and then again, we can call it evolution, development, growth, progress, whatever. And it means nothing more than an increase or growth of whatever kind. So many different things could be evolution. Um, my, my growth from 10 years ago to today is evolution. Uh, somebody learning something, I guess, technically could be evolution. Uh, were you, uh, the uh, something becoming hotter could be evolution. Uh, any change of any sort uh, in its broadest possible sense is evolution. And then from that broadest possible sense, we're going to go in and get a lot more specific. So when it comes to the historic uh, terminology of the church, and you can, and, and I just went through uh, St. Thomas where he talks about this in his sentences, commentary, book three, distinction 25, question two, article two. Just, just looking through, we can see many different terms that are used uh, rather than evolution or development. They didn't use that language. Uh, they use language like progress, growth, augmentation. And, and realizing now I probably should have thrown up the Latin rather than the English terms, but, you know, it is what it is. So uh, all, all this is to illustrate that you, you're not going to be able to go into the Summa or any number of commentaries on the sentences and look, okay, what's what's the the section that talks about the evolution of dogma? Or what's the section that talks about development of doctrine? Now, usually they speak of it in terms of the uh, growth of the articles of the faith or uh, the growth of understanding of, of the faith or or something of that sort. They're not going to speak of it in, ter in the same terms as we uh, like to speak of them. So now thinking about the ways in which material things uh, grow. So first, uh, we distinguish in material things uh, between matter and specific nature, or uh, matter and substantial form. So matter is, in, in the broadest sense, uh, that which accrues to a certain thing 
as individuating prop properties apart from the specific nature. And that, that sounds uh, very complicated. But by matter, we can mean anything from my height, uh, my weight, um, my hair color, my eye color, uh, my it doesn't even have to be physical, it could be intellectual. Uh, my knowledge, uh, that could be something, really anything besides that which makes something what it is, rather that which makes something uh, that individual. And uh, on the other hand, rather than matter, the specific nature is that what constitutes something in its species. So my specific nature is my humanity, uh, whereas my matter, uh, one of the my individual individuating principles is, uh, let's say, I live in North Carolina. That is that is part of my individuating principles. So from making this distinction between specific nature and then matter, we can uh, look at two different types of growth. So first is going to be the growth that occurs in the matter of something alone. And the second is going to be the growth that occurs not only in the matter of something, but also in the specific nature of something. So the first type of growth, that is growth in matter alone, that's what we're going to refer to as homogeneous evolution. So the individual develops within the confines of its specific nature, of its species. So we can think of a child growing into a man. Uh, that is an example of an homogeneous evolution. Or really, a, uh, we can think of a seed growing into a tree. Uh, these type of developments uh, keep something uh, what it is. It doesn't change what it is. And the second, uh, a change or growth in specific nature, that's going to be what we refer to as transformistic evolution. So we can think of the sort of in, in the classic Darwinist, um, like if, if you went to, uh, I don't know, some sort of... Uh, fundamentalist Baptist church and ask them about Darwin. Um, <laughs> they're the kind of way that they would, uh, they, they would describe uh, what um, I guess Darwinism is. Uh, the monkey turns into man. Uh, I guess it's kind of a meme, but yeah. Uh, my grandfather was a monkey and then uh, sort of he, uh, there's that transformation of species that happens. And then the species turns into man, the species of man, or uh, we can, we can even think of, um, of an actual example that actually happened. Uh, we can think of God's creation of man from the dust of the earth. There is a, um, a sort of substantial transformation between dust, the specific nature of dust, and the specific nature of man that occurs in God's creation of Adam. We can also think of something that is uh, on a regular basis, such as the death of a living organism. Uh, when, when a man dies, uh, he goes from being a man, or at least uh, you look at the, the body in front of you, that you can refer to that body-soul composite in front of your eyes as a man, and then that man dies. You can't refer to the body as a man, so there is a um, sort of substantial uh, transformation uh, that happens. This is These are examples of transformistic evolution, how most people think of evolution, transformistic evolution. We usually don't think of growth as evolution, but uh, in the sense in which we're using it, yes, it is. So when we look at the, the general category of evolution, what distinguishes, uh, called the specific difference, what distinguishes 
homogeneous from transformistic evolution is the fact that uh, it is in relation to substantial form. So we ask ourselves, is it the same species before and after? If the two things are the same species before and after, then that is an homogeneous evolution. If there are different species before and after, then it is transformistic evolution. So continuing to the next. So how does this how does this work now with dogmas? Because dogmas, I guess, don't really have, um, technically speaking, matter and and uh, specific um, specific nature. So when it comes to dogmas uh, in propositions, broadly speaking, the matter is the word or the formula that is used. And the specific nature is the meaning or signification or sense of the words that are presented. Thus, we're able to draw forth, as we did last time, two types of evolution concerning dogma or evolution concerning propositions or whatever it may be. Because this is not only uh, in the dogma of the Catholic Church, but an individual thinker or school of thinkers uh, may also have uh, this sort of uh, evolution that occurs in their thought. So uh, the two types of evolution uh, on the first is going to be the cha a change in words or formula, formulae or formula alone. And then the second is going to be a change both in the words and then also in the signification or both in the formulae and in the meaning. So th those, are the, those are the two types uh, of evolution that is going to occur. And therefore, we, we kind of bring forth the distinction uh, between the modernistic and then the Catholic view of the evolution of dogma. Because in the modernistic view, there is a both a change of words or formulae, and then there's also a change in meaning or signification. But in the Catholic view, there's a, always a retention of signification. There's always a retention of the same sense before or after. Uh, but there is a change in the words or the formulae that are used. So this kind of brings us to the classic formulation, which is given by St. Vincent of Lorraine. And this is accepted by Vatican I as the formulation of Catholic dogma. So, sorry, the first half of this is going to be in reference to what changes. And it says, may understanding, knowledge, and wisdom increase as ages and centuries roll along and greatly and vigorously flourish in each and all, in the individual and in the whole church. So that is the increase. That is the change of matter that's occurring. And now in the second half, we're going to get the retention of the, of the specific nature, the retention of, of sense that occurs. And it says, but this only in its own proper kind, that is to say, in the same doctrine, the same sense, and the same understanding. So again, there's the change that occurs in matter, that is our understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. Then there's the retention of the specific nature, that is the, the, the same kind, the same doctrine, the same sense, and the same uh, understanding. So, sorry. So this kind of brings up the question because it, it's all fine and dandy to 
to, to say that there is a retention of sense, there's retention of meaning, there's retention of signification. But what exactly does that mean? When does that occur? So broadly speaking, we say that the sense does not change when it is contained in the previous formula. So in, in a similar way, we, we say that the specific nature of the child does not change uh, when there's the increase of matter that brings the child to being a man, because in a certain way, the man is contained in the child. And uh, in, in a similar way, when we think about the tree and the seed, the tree is in some way contained in the seed. There is, there is, uh, there is different ways in which we can think about this sort of containing. But uh, you can, when you look at the previous, uh, when you look at the previous formula and you look at the, the current formula, there is, uh, they, they both point towards the same sense. So when you look at the old formula, you can extrapolate the new formula out of the old formula because it's contained in it just by applying the, the powers of, um, of the intellect under the light of faith. So, um, and then in order to get into a bit more detail, uh, we, we are helpfully uh, taught by St. Uh, Thomas and St. Bonaventure, because yes, again, as I'm going to keep emphasizing, Catholic theology has always spoken about this. Since the time of St. Vincent, uh, in a sort of uh, inchoate sense, and then also St. Thomas and St. Bonaventure talk about the development of doctrine. Uh, this isn't anything new in Catholic theology. Newman didn't just invent it. Uh, th this is something which Catholic theology has always uh, spoken of. So uh, when it comes to the relationship of concepts, we can have three different types of relationships. So the first is going to be uh, the concepts are related to each other explicatively. So... I'm sorry, I need my water. So with an explicative uh, relationship of concepts, the mind is able to penetrate from one concept to another concept on the condition that it penetrate the whole of the original concept. So if the mind considers the original concept and looks into the original concept, it is able to penetrate into that other concept, kind of, you, you can think of this with like a visual analogy. If you have this sort of beautiful painting uh, before you and, you and you look at it in kind of like a wide uh, lens at first, and you, you, you look at it, and then over time, you're able to appreciate more deeply all of the various uh, nuances and depths of, of beauty that is found in this painting. You're not looking at a at a different painting. It's really the same thing, but you're able to greater um, appreciate what is going on there. So a few examples of this. Um, the first one is if you the, the concept of absolute immutability and the concept of eternity is really as you consider what it means for something to be absolutely unchangeable. Obviously, it's going to be absolutely unchangeable in relation to time. It's not going to have any beginning and or succession. So as we consider absolute immutability in God, the concept of eternity comes forth. And in this, we are actually retaining the same sense. We're having different concepts. 
So this would be uh, an example of homogeneous evolution uh, in, in, in um, consideration of, of concepts. The second, uh, we think between the ideas of spirituality and immortality. We think about the idea of what it means for something to be spiritual. Uh, we get that it is something which is simple, that is without parts. And if something is simple, that is without parts, then it's incorruptible. And if something is incorruptible, then it is immortal. So as I think about or consider that concept of spirituality, I am able to deduce a priori a certain conclusion from it, that is immortality. So this would be example between two explicative, explicative concepts. The third, we can think of a uh, the concept of a hypostasis with a human nature and then a hypostasis with a human will. Since will is a part of nature, as I consider what it means for the hypostasis to have a human nature, I realize that that hypostasis must also have a human will. Another example, the concept of pillar of truth and the concept of infallible in faith and morals. If something is not, uh, as I consider uh, more and more what it means for the church to be the pillar of truth, I am able to conclude with the fact that the church is infallible in faith and morals, or else it would not be upholding the truth. And then uh, a last example of these explicative concepts, I can think of the concept of this is my body, and I can think of the concept of this bread is substantially the body of Christ. What does it mean for something to be uh, my body? Uh, and by my, I mean to be Christ's body. There, that, that's better. What does it mean for something to, actually, I can break that down into separate pieces. What is this? This is bread. What is my? That is Christ. What does it mean for something to be Christ's body? It means to, to have the same substance. It means to uh, be consubstantial with. Therefore, when I, when I say this is my body, by a consideration of the terms, by consideration of the concept, as my intellect penetrates that one singular concept, I am able to conclude that this bread is substantially the body of Christ. So these are these are all explicative uh, concepts. And then second, we can think of diverse concepts. So with diverse concepts, the mind cannot penetrate to the other concept, yet they are not mutually exclusive. So if I as as much as I would like to penetrate the concept of um blue, I'm not going to be able to, through a consideration of blue, conclude to the uh, taste of coffee. The, these are completely different concepts. I'm not going to be able to penetrate the one and then be able to deduce the other. And then uh, third, we can think of contrary concepts. So the mind cannot uh, penetrate to the other concept and the concepts are mutually exclusive. So if I say that this is a um, necessary pen, if I, uh, if I consider the concept of necessity enough, I'm not going to come to the conclusion that this is a, a contingent pen because necessity and contingency cannot exist in the same subject. So uh, when it comes to the first, the first is going to have a singularity of sense, singularity of meaning, singularity of signification. The second and third are not going to have a singularity of sense, singularity of uh, meaning, singularity of signification. So with the first, with explicative concepts, 
there is going to be a homogeneous evolution if we have uh, explicative concepts related to one another. With the second and the third, there is not going to be uh, homogeneous, but there is going to be transformistic evolution. You're going to fall into the era of the modernists. And then uh, I, I just wanted to, just so everybody believed me, uh, here are the quotes from St. Thomas and St. Bonaventure. They're both commenting on the prologue to the sentences. St. Thomas says, quote, I answer addition is twofold. And he's talking about whether there is an addition uh, to the articles of the faith. He says, first, either by adding that which is contrary or diverse. Notice he's bringing these concepts of contrariety and diversity. And this is erroneous. This is the error of the modernists. Or by adding that which is implicitly contained by way of exposition. And this is praiseworthy. So with the second group, there are explicative concepts. And then St. Bonaventure says basically the same thing. Quote, there is an addition in which that which is added is contrary. There is another in which that which is added is diverse. And there is another in which that is added is consonant. The first addition is one of error because you're concluding the opposite of the truth. The second uh, one of presumption because you're kind of just concluding something random. And the third of faithful instruction because it, because it explicates what is implicit. So notice, there is this clear understanding and preaching of the development of doctrine in St. Thomas and in St. Bonaventure. And then, uh, as a final note, um, we're, the medievals are going to call this uh, growth, uh, either explicative growth or substantial growth. Explicative growth is what we're going to call the homogeneous evolution of Catholic dogma. And then substantial growth is what we're going to call transformistic evolution. So that's going to be um, the evolution of the modernists. So that is all I have for you. Uh, do not forget, as we finish off, um, if you appreciate what I'm doing with this series, uh, definitely become a patron or uh, go to my website and check out the courses that I have because I just finished my one on the existence of God. And I'd really appreciate if you uh, sign up for that. Thank you and God bless.